Good morning. It's good to see all of you this morning. As we begin, would you hear from the word of the Lord? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is king of kings and Lord of lords. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. And at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Would you stand with me as we sing this great hymn of our faith and let's proclaim it to the Lord this morning. Sing with me. Oh, hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the Savior, 
Jesus, amen. We are glad that you're with us this morning, decided to come and worship with Pitts Baptist Church. Thank you for being here today. We do want to welcome each one of you. And there is a care card that's located in the pew rack there in front of you. If you'll take a moment, if you're a guest, we ask you to please fill that in. We want to have a record of you being here and try to send you something from the church just to thank you for being here. On the back of that, for everyone, is a place to fill in prayer requests. We ask you to take a minute to do that. As you leave today, there are boxes on the round table in the foyer where you can leave those. We will direct those to the right people, and we do get those. I get those periodically if it's in my area of ministry uh, to pray over those needs, and we do pray over those. So please take a moment to do that. We want to know what's going on in your life uh, as part of our church family. So take a moment to do that. But, but thank you uh, for being with us in worship today. Please be in prayer for our Alaska team. There's 14 of our family members that are in Anchorage this week. Uh, James and Janet Blanford, please remember them especially, be leading that group, and so um, be praying for them. At the end of the service, we'll also have a special time of prayer today for our youth team that leaves next Sunday, and so um, be remembering them. A reminder, we do have friendly neighbors uh, this coming Tuesday, but it will not be at the park. Uh, looking at the forecast, it's going to be around 100 degrees that day, and so we're going to be in the air conditioning in the core gym, having a picnic though in the gym. So anyway, you come be a part of that. That's some of the best food in Concord. Uh, that begins at 1130. Don't forget, next week is Father's Day and men, teens, and boys. We need you to help in the choir next week. So if you can cut out of Sunday school just a little early, sorry, community groups a little early, and be here at 10 in the choir loft. Uh, Jonathan will have music for us. It will be something that is familiar. And so we want to encourage you to come be a part of that. And then Vacation Bible School, don't forget about that. July 25th through the 28th, you can register at pbcweb.org. And we would love for you to be involved in that. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. I tell you, who needs the Lord this morning to maybe walk with them in the fire? We, were, we sang about that. Yeah, I see those hands. Maybe something going on in your life right now. Um, let's go to the Lord and just ask Him about those things. And then pray and ask about this service today. Uh, that, would God, that God would use this time 
uh, for us to worship him and maybe hear a word from him. Let's pray together and I'll pray out loud. God, we thank you that your son, Jesus, has walked where we have walked and knows uh, what we face, the pain that we feel, the struggles that we deal with, the temptations that we have in our lives each day. And it says, even though he was tempted in every way that we are, he was yet without sin. God, we thank you for Jesus and his example of how he walked, and I pray that we would Look to him, not to other men, not to the way they walk, but the way Jesus walks. That we would see that he is the only one, the God-man who is perfect. And God, we thank you for his example. He came to show us that, but he also came to die for us. And God, we thank you for that too. What a sacrifice that is. and The way that you love us to send your very own son, the only one qualified to die on a cross. For each one of our sins, God. We don't get that, though. We don't have salvation automatically. And God, I wonder if there's somebody in this room today or listening by way of internet who does not know Jesus. But God, maybe today you would send your Holy Spirit to them, that they would hear your call, they would be convicted, and today, even today, they would make a decision to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So they too could sing that song that Jesus walks with them through the fire. God, I pray you be with this service today. We do pray for our mission team who are in Alaska right now, God. For James and Janet as they lead that group, God, give them wisdom. For the group that will leave next Sunday, our youth group, God. And we'll hear more from them later in the service. But God, we, we pray for each one of them individually, God. I know there's always the fear of the unknown of going somewhere where Maybe we're not familiar, but God, I, I pray that they would know you go with them. They are ambassadors for you, for our church, and I pray, God, that you would just use them in ways they have no idea right now uh, that you're going to use them. God, that they would let, uh, let, them, let uh, you speak through them. They would have courage that you would give them, God. Just uh, be with this service today. Be with Pastor Scott. We know you've given him a message. We pray you'd use that message to speak to our hearts, God. Give us a great day today, and we'll thank you for all you do for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
be seated.
Thank you, students. And as Kevin mentioned, we will be having a time of prayer for them at the end of the service uh, today as they get ready to leave a week from today. They'll be leaving about 9.30 next Sunday morning. And of course, uh, we have a team on the ground there now as well. So uh, pray for this group who's already uh, in Alaska. And pray for the uh, churches there that, uh, and the community that they will be strengthened as a result of our folks being among them. I'm going to ask you to find Mark chapter 1 in your copy of the scripture. Mark chapter 1. We're going to continue this morning in our series through the gospel of Mark. And today we're going to look at a glimpse at Jesus' life and ministry. Uh, we'll look at what was a typical day in the life of our Lord and Savior. And we're going to begin reading in verse 21, and we will read down through verse 45. I'm going to ask you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word, please. Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 45. Scripture says, And they went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. The Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up and the fever left her and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. 
And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it, and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. Thank you. You may be seated. Many years ago, the story is told of the Prince of Wales at the time visiting the country of India. And as he got to India, a barrier had been set up to keep back all of the masses of people who wanted to be there, perhaps shake his hand or just get a glimpse of royalty. Well, when the prince arrived, he shook hands with some of the dignitaries who, presented, uh, who were presented to him. And then he looked over their shoulders and he saw all of the masses gathered there and he instructed the authorities. He said, take down these barriers. The barriers were removed and all of the people, regardless of their social ranking, had free access to the British throne through the Prince of Wales. Sometime later when the prince visited that area once again, 10,000 outcasts were there waiting for him under a banner that had these words inscribed on it. The Prince of the Outcast. Welcome. You know, folks, I think that sounds a great deal like how Jesus might have been. He mingled among the people. He touched them. He spoke to them. He paid attention to them. And he met their needs. You'll recall in Mark 9, obviously we'll be there in some number of weeks, but from previous scripture readings in Mark 9, you remember that occasion when the disciples are arguing about who is going to be the greatest among them. And Jesus said, I'll tell you who is the greatest among you, the one who is last of all and servant of all. And we know that the Lord Jesus modeled what he taught. 
Now here at the end of Mark chapter 1, we see a series of events that describe a day in the life of the Lord Jesus. And we get to see a glimpse of his life and ministry. There's a number of very powerful episodes that Mark records for us. Now folks, we might be tempted to look at all of these stories as just sort of a, a bunch of disconnected storylines but they're not they all demonstrate that in Jesus Christ the kingdom of God is near as verse 15 says it, it is here it has begun now we know it will not be consummated until some point in the future but with the incarnation of Jesus Christ the kingdom of God has arrived and since Jesus is the king of God's kingdom Mark demonstrates that Jesus has authority over all things there is nothing in life that lies outside of the authority of the Lord Jesus. He has authority over sickness, even something like leprosy for which there was no known cure. He even has authority over demonic powers. And what that says to you and me is that whatever possible scenario might crop up in your life or in my life, Jesus is more than able to handle it. He has the ability, he has the authority to deal with whatever it is in your life that you are faced with. And that's what Mark is showing in story after story. And he's showing us how Jesus is no ordinary man. This is the Son of God. The first thing I want you to notice with me this morning, Jesus worshipped and talked. Look again at verses 21 and 22. It says, immediately... He, he left, the, uh, immediately they went to Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. On the Sabbath, where was Christ? Where was Christ on the Sabbath? He was in church. He was in the synagogue. Now there's no archaeological evidence for synagogues until about the 3rd century B.C. It is believed that synagogues cropped up during the time of the 70 year Babylonian exile. When they were away from Jerusalem, away from the temple. And since they were away from the temple and, and, and could not sacrifice... What they did is they established outposts, sort of like satellite temples or satellite churches called synagogues. And these would be places where they would study the law of God. And anywhere where there, there were 10 adult or, or 10 Jewish males above age 13, a synagogue could be established. Synagogues were places for learning, for worship, and for instruction in the Torah, the law of God. When they came back from Babylonian exile, 
synagogues popped up everywhere around Israel and, and Judah. Uh, because oftentimes it was, it was a long journey maybe to, to go all the way to Jerusalem to the temple. Especially if you lived up in a northern region of Israel for example. Or some outlying area of Judea. A, a trip to the temple would be a big deal. And so they would establish synagogues. Again like a little satellite temple that did not have sacrifice at it. It was a place of worship and learning. But they would establish these all over their communities. So on the Sabbath they would meet together and they would worship and study God's law. For all practical purposes you could kind of think of them as a neighborhood church. The community would go to the synagogue on any given Sabbath. The law would be read. You've got to keep in mind... People didn't have individual scrolls of the Bible. The scrolls sometimes were quite large. And the average peasant home did not have copies of the scrolls. They wouldn't even be able to hear the scripture read unless they went to a synagogue and there would be somebody there to unroll the scroll, to get it out of a case, to place it down on a podium, to unroll it, and they would hear somebody read from the scripture. Usually there would be some type of synagogue ruler or a leader and some elders in the community who would assume the posture of, of reading and, and, and teaching. And so the synagogues became a blessing to their various communities. They afforded the opportunity to go somewhere local in your community and gather together with other worshipers. This was their purpose. The Jews were to observe the Sabbath. They were to work six days, rest the seventh. Jesus said he had not come to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. And so on the Sabbath, he himself was in the synagogue. And folks, this ought to be a lesson to us today. Our Lord went to worship. And what does that say to us? If we want to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, we need to go to worship. Jesus was very intentional about not disconnecting his life from the life of the community of faith. You know, you don't see many of them anymore, these bracelets, uh, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Well, I have no doubt what Jesus would do if he were among us today. On the Lord's day, Jesus would be in church. A place like this is where he would be. Paul says to Timothy, until I come, give yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Scripture is to be a vital part of our worship. I think about the, the days of Nehemiah. 
In the days of Nehemiah, Ezra uh, set up, Ezra the scribe set up a wooden podium and put the law of God, the scripture, out on it. And, and the scripture says from early in the morning until noon that day, he was reading and giving comments on the scripture. And the people were, were listening attentively to the scripture being read. Folks, God speaks to us through His Word. This is no small thing. This is not a small matter. To have a copy of the Scripture and to be able to read it, to be able to study it, to be able to gather together and listen to it taught or preached, this is not a small issue because we believe that when Scripture speaks, God speaks. And this is why also the writer of Hebrews tells us that we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as is the habit of some. In other words, what we're doing here this morning should not be viewed by us as being something that is optional or elective. We are commanded to meet and worship. This is to be a priority each week in my life and in your life. Any believer who has disconnected themselves from a local body of believers is living in direct disobedience to their Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And they're not following his example. And as we meet, we're not the primary focus. You'll remember in the book of Acts, it says when they gathered together to meet together and worship, who did they minister to? The book of Acts says they gathered together and they ministered as a body of believers to the Lord. Think of that. They were praising Him. They were glorifying Him. They were proclaiming He is worthy of our worship. They were ministering to the Lord. They were making their worship all about Jesus Christ. What I want you to see is that the church is just not some type of afterthought. It serves a very important role. The people of God, whether in Old Testament times or New Testament times, are to gather together for prayer, for singing, for reading, for instruction from the Word of God. It is to be a priority in our lives that we set aside time every week to take part in this. Folks, it's not just to give me or the other ministers something to do. It's so that God's people can come together and proclaim God's worthiness and glorify Him and minister to Him. Our worship is to direct our thoughts to God and, and we're reminded that God is to be at the forefront of everything we do. We exist for His glory. Church is like a weekly reminder, I exist for the glory of God. That's why I'm here and that's why you're here. That's why He's given us life and breath. We exist for Him. And so every week in worship, it's like a reset. We're reminded of what is most important in life. 
Folks, this is taken so seriously that in some circles, even today, a member who regularly misses church for no legitimate reasons whatsoever, they come up for church discipline, and if they don't repent and change, they are treated as an unbeliever and put out of the church. That's one side of the pendulum. We, we would probably be at the other side of the pendulum that, that we don't go that far, but we take it to complacency. We're, we're too lax and too negligent in how we view the importance of this. And the early church, of course, began to meet for worship on Sunday, the first day of the week, in recognition of what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ defines everything about the Christian. He lives and because he lives that's to affect when I go to work tomorrow morning. It's to affect how I treat my family, my neighbors. It's to affect even what I do when I go to the grocery store. How I treat people. What I do every day in my life. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is to affect everything. And worship, regular weekly worship is like a reset that helps us come back around to the importance of this. And be reminded this is to be the priority in our life. Because again, life is all about Him. The synagogues were often led by a group of laymen. And if there was a visiting rabbi in town, they would invite him up to the podium to give comments on the scripture read. Jesus takes the opportunity here. Jesus taught, and he taught with authority. The rabbis simply quoted one another. They wrote extensively on the scripture. And sometimes they even elevated their writings on the scripture, their comments to above scripture itself. And they over-regulated everything about life. They would veer off from a scripture passage and they would say, Rabbi so-and-so tells us we ought to be doing this. Rabbi so-and-so says that. Rabbi so-and-so says this. And Rabbi so-and-so admonishes us to do that. And apparently their message just tended to be a collection of what various rabbis had said about various topics. And to show you how they made things so difficult, it's like the example I've given you before. I think I got this from William Barclay. How they overregulated everything. You know, here's a guy working in his fields. He's got everything on his pack mule. He, he gets in, uh, you know, five minutes before the Sabbath begins at sundown on a Friday night. He doesn't have time to untie everything off his pack mule, unload his pack mule. He can't do that in, say, five minutes. And if he's still unloading his pack mule when the Sabbath begins, he's broken the Sabbath. But if he leaves the load on the animal, he's making his animal work on the Sabbath. So he would be condemned anyway. He's in a no-win situation. He's in a catch-22. And so the rabbi said, well, I'll tell you what you do. Reach down under the belly of the animal and let loose all the latchets and all uh, on the things holding the, the load. And, and you can do that in the time right before the Sabbath begins. And you have freed yourself of all responsibility. 
Hopefully that the animal will just be able to shake things off. That's how ridiculous they got with everything. And they would swallow camels and choke on gnats. But Jesus is Lord and Creator. He doesn't need to quote anybody. He's the source of wisdom and truth. Jesus would say, it is written, but I say, he dared to speak of a matter as God would speak. Why? Because he's God. Right here, we read the... We read the same thing that we read at the close of the Sermon on the Mount. It says that the people were amazed at his teaching. He taught as one having authority. I know a preacher who has a so what point to all of his points. So what's the so what here for us? The so what would be that you and I need to prioritize worship in our lives And we need to desire to hear from God's word and build our lives upon it. Each week we need to take part in this reset that puts our focus back on him. Second thing, Jesus cast out demons. Verses 23 to 28. Adding to the astonishment in church that day was the entrance of a man with an unclean spirit. He's demon possessed. Don't you know this shook up church that day? Folks, we read in the Gospels this was something that Jesus commonly encountered in people. It does dishonor to the scripture to simply say, as some have tried to say... That what we're dealing with here is just simple cases of mental illness. No, the Bible doesn't say it was a case of mental illness. He was demon possessed. And you'll notice here the demons spoke to Jesus. He spoke to them. Mental illness is not what is being described here. Demons can take possession of people. We read later in the Gospels how even Satan entered Judas Iscariot. Now folks, I don't believe that Christians can be possessed by demons because Christians are sealed and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. A Christian can be oppressed but not possessed. This man was demon possessed. And notice that the demons knew who Jesus was. What's said here indicates there was more than one demon in the man. For when they spoke, they said, Jesus, what do you have to do with us? They knew who Jesus was. Now folks, this shouldn't be hard to figure out. Revelation 12 describes that time when Satan rebelled from God. In Revelation 12 says when Satan rebelled, he drug a third of the angels out of heaven with him. So this means that the demons at one time had been angels in heaven with God. They knew Jesus even before his incarnation. And I want you to think about what a testimony this is to Jesus. It's a huge testimony about 
Jesus' identity. Sometimes we have to try and convince men that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. But demons who knew him even before the incarnation, they never had to be convinced of his identity. They knew that Jesus was the Son of the living God. Jesus has authority over angels and demons. Now folks, we don't have to go around worried about demons all the time if we have Jesus. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. I've met a few Christians in life, not many, but I've met a few Christians in life who go around all the time worried about demons. I don't think that's wise. That shouldn't occupy our focus. Jesus is to occupy our focus. Keep your thoughts and your affections and your eyes on him. And, and remember, a, a Christian is a child of God. We don't have to go around living in fear. What's being shown here is Jesus' complete authority over demons. And when this event right here happens, when he casts them out, the scripture says his fame spread wide throughout that whole area. If you want to know a very powerful application point about all this today, I, I, I think it's this. It is a demonstration once again in Mark's gospel that in Jesus the kingdom of God is here. It's dawned. It's begun. It, it has been inaugurated in Christ's incarnation. Now as I've said, we still await the consummation of it until a future time. But it has begun. In Mark 3... Verse 27, Jesus explains what he's doing. He said that in order to do what he's doing, you would have to enter into a strong man's house and tie him up or bind him before you could proceed to plunder his household. Now you might wonder what Jesus meant. He explained what he meant. Jesus has in a sense tied up the strong man Satan and is plundering his house. He's driving demons out. He's demonstrating that the kingdom of God has begun. Folks, the Bible indicates that when we are near the end, demonic activity is going to increase. The book of Revelation talks about how near the end the pit of hell is going to be opened and hordes of demonic spirits are unleashed on the earth and Satan's wrath is going to be great because he knows his time is short. I, I can't help but wonder if that doesn't explain some of what we're seeing today. I mean it just seems like something has happened in society that goes way beyond a virus or supply chain issues. I, I mean, there, there is something. People can just feel it. People are talking about it. There, there's something going on. Unlike anything we've ever seen before. And the Bible says it's going to get worse before his, his second coming. But you know what? I can't help but wonder if Christ is not right now, in the words of James, the judge is right at the door. 
James pictures the judge at the door. He, he's reaching forward with, with his hand about to grab the door hand. The judge is about to come. I can't help but wonder if we're not that close. And I think the words of the prophet Amos are fitting here. Prepare to meet your God. I'm not making predictions. That'd be foolish. We're told not to make predictions. But when we see everything that's going on in society, we know that we've been in the last days since the first coming of Jesus and the pouring out of the Spirit. I mean, we're told in the New Testament, we've been in the last days for the last 2,000 years. When you look at what's going on today, I can't help but wonder if we're not at the Last of the last days, the judge is at the door. He's about to arrive. If you're not ready, you better get ready. Prepare to meet your God. And what I want to emphasize about this event here in Mark is this. Jesus is in complete control, complete authority. All of the demons of hell together cannot prevent the arrival of God's kingdom. Greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. We don't have to live in fear. How we need to be living is we need to be ready to meet the king. He could come today. Third thing, Jesus healed the sick, verses 29 to 34. After church that day, you'll notice Simon and Andrew had the preacher over for lunch. That's something that people used to do, had the preacher over for lunch. <laughs> we're, we're told that, that Simon's mother-in-law was sick with a fever. Now, you know Simon must have cared deeply for this lady. Uh, they tell Jesus about her. Uh, he was not like the son-in-law I heard about. I, I heard one of these stories about, you know, a son-in-law and a mother-in-law. They didn't have a good relationship at all. Whoo, they didn't have a good relationship. Well, his mother-in-law moved to Florida. And while she was down there, she died. And the funeral home contacted the son-in-law, said, we want to tell you so you can break the news to your wife. Her mother's passed away. And uh, the funeral home guy said, Now, you know, obviously we can send the body back. We can prepare it, whatever you want us to do. We can, we can embalm her and put her in a casket, prepare her for burial. We can cremate her, whatever you want. And the son-in-law said, Take no chances with her. Do both. <laughs> <laughs> well Simon Peter must not have been that way with his mother-in-law he must have cared a great deal for and, and what's emphasized here is that Jesus immediately healed her just like Jesus has authority over demons he has authority over illness in fact we're told in Revelation 21 that one day in heaven there will be no more illness there will be no sickness, no death no pain, no, no suffering. He's making all things new. Some of you have lost a loved one to cancer, heart problem, whatever. In heaven, 
in the new heavens and new earth, when we're with Christ for all of eternity, he's, he's, he's making all things new. None of the things that have affected you, disease and death and suffering and pain down here, are going to affect people anymore. Isn't that going to be great? We know that illness and, a disease, and disease is part of a fallen world. Now, some Christians today, and maybe you've heard this, some Christians today take Isaiah 53, where it says, By his stripes we are healed. And some Christians today say there's healing in the atonement. Not only salvation, healing in the atonement. And, and there is healing in the atonement. But what they try to go on to say is if you only have enough faith... There's healing in the atonement now. And the logical conclusion to that is nobody would ever have to get sick and nobody would ever have to die. Well, there's healing in the atonement, but we may just have to wait till the consummation of God's kingdom to see it. There was another reason as to why Jesus did miracles like healing. He healed during his ministry to reveal who he was. His miracles revealed who he was. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He raised the dead. John's gospel says that these miracles were signs. The people were not to be sign chasers though. They were to see that Jesus was doing the activity that only God can do. And if Jesus is doing the activity that only God can do, then who must Jesus be? He must be God. That was the point in these miracles. Jesus was doing things that only God can do. The people were not to chase after miracles, to be sign chasers. On one occasion, Jesus told a crowd in John chapter 6, You're not following me because of the right reasons, because of who I am. You're just following me because I've done miracles in your midst. I've, I've filled your empty tummies. People were to see beyond the signs that here's a man doing what only God can do. This must be the Messiah. That was the intention of them. And not to chase after this sensational. Folks, don't chase after sensational things in your life. You know what? You and I are to have the type of faith that Habakkuk in the Old Testament learn to have. You remember what Habakkuk said? He said, though the fig tree does not blossom and no fruit is on the vines, though the produce of the olive fails and the fields yield no fruit, though the flock is cut off from the fold and there is no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will exult in the God of my salvation. Folks, that's the kind of faith you and I are to have. We're to trust him when he heals. We're to trust him when he doesn't. He's got a plan. Don't fall into the trap of thinking God's supposed to do everything you want him to do on your time schedule. He's God and you're not. A fourth scenario I want you to see. Jesus maintained his appointments with the Father. Look at verse 35. It says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Early in the morning, it would have been quiet, no interruptions. And what did he do? He found a place to get alone with God. 
What did Jesus later instruct his disciples? Go into a room or a closet, shut the door. In other words, don't make a spectacle out of your quiet times. Matthew 6, he gave instructions about prayer and fasting and giving. It's to be done privately without calling attention to yourself. That's again what Jesus is demonstrating here in his own life. And everybody searches for Jesus until they find him. And notice when they find him they say, Lord, everybody is looking for you. And what did Jesus say? Did he jump up and say, oh man, whoa, I lost track of time and run back to where everybody was looking? He said, no. Let's go on now to the other villages that I may preach. For that's why I've come. You know what Jesus was not allowing people to do? He was not allowing people to set his agenda. He spent time with the Father. Intimacy with the Father. That's, that's who he allowed to set his agenda. His time with God. He didn't allow everybody just to set his agenda. You know, there are, there are people who will do that in your life. They'll try to dictate everything about your life. In the ministry, ministers face this. You wouldn't believe some of the things we're called on to do. You know, you, know, you, you read about some of these cults. Some of these cults that control everything about people's lives. What they wear, what they can eat, if they can drive or not. You ask any pastor, there, there's, a, there's a small percentage of people probably in orthodox Christian churches. They, they want to minister to help them to decide everything about their lives. I don't understand that. But there are people who will. They will dominate your time because they want you on their agenda. Folks, you and I have got to spend time with the Father that will be on His agenda. If you allow everybody else to set your agenda, you'll be so divided in, in so many directions, you will never accomplish anything. But Jesus, on the other hand, he lived with a sense of mission. Do you live with a sense of mission? Or do you just succumb to the tyranny of the urgent all the time? And you're an ambulance chaser about everything. What's your mission? Do you live with a sense of mission? Have you gotten that mission out of your times of intimacy uh, with the Father? You know, every day we've got to make decisions. And those decisions are going to help chart the course of our lives. So does God have a portion of your day? You say, I'm too busy to spend time with God. Actually, it's just the opposite. You're too busy not to spend time with God. You've got to spend time with God. And yes, you've got to spend time with people. You've got to feed other people's souls and minister to them. But it's out of that time with the Father that you're going to have wisdom in everything else you're supposed to be doing in your life. In other words, we're to serve the Lord out of the overflow. If what you do in church to serve the Lord has just become a duty to you, chances are you've missed this point right here. You're no longer serving out of the overflow.
Either get up an hour earlier, which means going to bed earlier, or carve out an hour or so in the course of the day or the evening. That'll be your time in the Word and in prayer. If you can't do that, yeah, you're too busy. You know, when I was a kid at Oakhurst Baptist Church, our, our, my first preacher there, Dr. Gaddis Perry, I'll never remember what Gaddis Perry said. I'll never remember, never forget what Gaddis Perry said. I don't know. I don't know if it's the jacket hitting this thing or what. Anyway, I'll, I'll never forget what Gaddis Perry said on one occasion. He said, what impacted him most in his life about his dad. His dad was a godly man. He said, every day his dad had a certain area he would get alone with God with his Bible and be in prayer. And all the kids knew it. That was dad's time with the Lord. That was a priority in dad's life. And Gadda said, seeing my dad have that kind of priority in his life with the Lord, he said, that impacted my life. Take, a, take an example from Jesus here, what he did here in verse 35. Again, if you're not a morning person, okay, some other time of the day, okay? But just do what Jesus did here in verse 35. And then one last event I want us to see here. Jesus heals a leper, verses 40 to 45. Leprosy was the most dreaded disease of the ancient world. There was no cure for it. The skin would sometimes just literally rot off and it would have a terrible odor to it. The nerve endings would die so lepers were always going around injuring themselves. Sometimes in the worst cases, noses, lips, ears. Would, would fall off, just rot off. It's said that in the worst cases, sometimes the individual was, was hardly even recognizable as a human being. It was a death sentence in the ancient world. And because it was a death sentence for no cure, lepers had to isolate themselves from, from other people in society. And anytime somebody got within about 50 feet of them, they had to cry out, leper, leper, so everybody would avoid them. It was a lonely existence. No wonder the Bible uh, speaks uh, or pictures leprosy as sin that's infected us. Well, we see here that a leper approaches Jesus out of desperation and asks Jesus to heal him. In verse 41, there is an interpretive issue. Some of your translations, some say Jesus moved with compassion. Some with, were moved by anger. Why would you, if anger is the right word, why would Jesus be moved with anger? Well, if, if he was moved with anger, if that's the right word to use here, he was angered by sin and the consequence of sin that such a fellow would be so desperate. And he was angered by the religious establishment that would do absolutely nothing to help lepers. And what does Jesus do? He heals the man. A total healing. And what I want you to see here is Jesus has authority over the most desperate situations. Think of that. The most desperate situations in your life where you would say, there is not a person on planet earth that could help me with this. Jesus can. Jesus can. 
Folks, Jesus is not physically in our presence today. He's here, but not physically. One day, he will be. But even now, his presence in our lives is intended to change everything. Everything. And I want you to know this. Whatever troubles you, you now have, God may not take them out of your life instantly. One day he will. He may leave something for now to teach you something about his grace and his strength. But one of these days, all of your troubles will be gone. You can rejoice in the Lord and live for him. Have hope in him. Jesus is the answer for even the most desperate scenarios in your life. Some quick takeaways. Number one, Jesus was busy for God. His life and his time were not squandered away. The Bible tells you and I that we are to redeem the time. Christ was busily about the Father's business. Are you about the Father's business? When he comes, will he find you faithful? Second takeaway. While Jesus was busily about the Father's business, he took time to commune with God. Beware if you ever think that you're too busy even doing things for God that you're not spending time with God. Think about your days and nights right now. What do you need to do to make adjustments in your life? That you can have that time of intimacy with God. Thirdly, Jesus has absolute authority over all things. And that means whatever it is in your life, you can entrust it over to Him without reserve. There, there should be nothing in your life or in my life that should be outside of the scope of His absolute control. And then lastly, is there even one today who needs to come to Christ right now? You want to know a Lord and Savior like this. You want to know somebody like Him. The good news is, you can come to Jesus. You can have Him change your life and work His work in you. Would you stand please?